Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to be having a chat about Wu Zichan, the Empress of China. Uh, who ruled China as an empress from 690 until 705 and established her own dynasty as she did so. Today, she remains the only female to ascend to this title and the way she got there is pretty bloody interesting. So let's get to it. Wu Zichan is born sometime in 624, not exactly sure when. Uh, The same year, a total eclipse of the sun was visible from China. Ominous. Now, uh, she had a cracking childhood, being born into a wealthy family during a period of Chinese history where things weren't as bad as they usually were back then for women. During the Tang Dynasty, which lasted from 618 to 906, women were a little more involved with public, in public life than usual, getting involved in politics as well as you know art and music and culture and all that sort of stuff. So Wu, is a, she's having a great time. Her old man has her do stuff like learn to write, learn to play music, and she loves reading and learning and generally, you know, sharpening up the the old brain box. And as I mentioned, her folks were absolutely loaded. So she's got servants uh, to, you know, fetch her fried scorpions or whatever they ate over there in China, I don't know. And uh, she grows up uh, quick and clever uh, as anything, really, and uh, she's not too bad looking either. As a result, she gets snapped up as a concubine for the emperor himself, Emperor Taizong. Now, she's only 14 at this stage, so we're into some, you know, pretty questionable territory here but obviously this is how they did it back in the day uh the emperor would have had his favorite wife who gave birth to heirs and stuff uh, but all the concubines were basically spares which again pretty questionable territory but in any case Wu has an easy time of it as a concubine as Taizong seemed to actually have been a pretty decent bloke she uh, she works as a secretary uh, and you know sort of does stuff like that uh for him until he dies in 649 when she's in her mid-20s now, this is where stuff gets really interesting, because Wu had a bit of a deep, dark, bloody secret from old mate Tai Zong. She's been rooting his son and heir, uh, the future Emperor Gao Zong, behind his back. She's four years older than Gao Zong, whereas old Tai Zong is 26 years older than her. But this means that when Taizong dies in 649, you know, the usual tradition gets underway, packing up all the concubines to, you know, go and live in a monastery or whatever. But Wu isn't having any of it. No, thank you, mate. Not for me. The new Emperor Gaozong comes along and plucks her out of this convent once that he's plonked his ass onto the imperial throne. And that's that. She is back to being an imperial concubine. And this time, for the son of the bloke that she'd been married to before. Once she gets back to court, Gaozong gives her pride of place amongst the concubines and uh, and she becomes his favourite straight away. Now, this, beca- this creates a bit of a stir amongst all these knobs here for a few reasons. Not only is it a big departure from the usual traditions, but Gaozong is generally seen as a, he's a bit of a, a useless prick, really, and a lot of people don't like him. One person in particular who doesn't like him, as you can imagine, is Empress Wang, his wife. Obviously, this is because Gao Zong is a huge fan of Wu, you know, chucking her chockies and flowers and taking her out to the drive-in, all sorts of stuff there. And Wang hates it because Wu should, by law, be in a convent with, you know, the, a shaven head and a, and a very empty social calendar. But here she is, hogging all the attention of the emperor. 
And what makes it worse for Wang is that she hasn't had any kids. And before uh, before too long, Wu gets knocked up and squirts out two boys, one after the other, in 652 and 653. Gao Zong bloody loves this. But Wang is, is you know, she, she's crossed a frog in a sock here because she is 30 love down to this, this concubine here. Now... Wu knows that Wang's knickers are in a bit of a knot about this, and she senses an opportunity to uh, to make a bit of hay while the, the fiery sun of Wang's rage was shining here. What goes on now is uh, it's pretty messed up, to be honest, uh, and although there's no concrete historical evidence to tell us exactly what happened, it's still pretty messed up no matter how you slice it. In 654, Wu has another kid, a daughter this time. Within a few weeks of this kid being born, she's found dead in her crib, and it looks like that she it looks like she's been strangled. Wu gets on the front foot and starts talking about, you know, horrible murder and all that sort of stuff, accusing Wang of killing the infant out of jealousy and spite. And a few people come forward as witnesses to say that they'd seen Wang around the baby's chamber and Wang herself didn't have an alibi. Now Gao Zong, who honestly did sort of get led around by the end of his dick a lot of the time, listens to what Wu is saying and gets very concerned. Wu continues to slander Wang's name, now saying she's doing witchcraft and, you know, stuff like that. And eventually, Gao Zong has had enough. He divorces Wang, strips her of her title of Empress Consort, and arrests her, and she is never released. She's later murdered on the orders of Wu, as we'll come to. But what is so messed up about this whole baby situation is that it's not certain that Wang actually did the deed. In fact, Wu herself may have been the one to murder her own child just to put the frame on Wang and further her political ambitions. Can you believe that? Honestly, we'll never know if this is the case. One of the reasons that it's so hard to determine is because Wu was viciously slandered throughout her entire later reign as an emperor, as an empress, you know, as being ruthless and cold-blooded. And so the truth has probably been distorted one way or the other. We're not, we're not sure. Many historians consider it likely that Wu, who was certainly power-hungry, if nothing else, killed her own kid. But as I say, we'll, we'll never know for sure. Anyway, doesn't matter how you look at it. The situation was, you know, beyond messed up, but it proved to be pivotal in the future of this entire nation moving forward. Because with Wang out of the picture, old mate Gao Zong is looking for a new wife. Oh, and what's this? His favourite concubine, already with two sons ready to go, ready to walk down the aisle. Wu Zichan becomes the emperor's consort in 655 and takes to the role very naturally, all diplomatic and respectable up front. But like some kind of murderous bloodstained mullet, she is all scheming and ruthless at the back. She goes after her old political enemies now that she's at the top of the heap and there are severe reprisals for those that she uh, deemed to have stood in her way during her ascension. She gets a secret police force going, uh, you know, not to only take uh, care of her old enemies and rivals, but to spy on new ones as well. And these blokes were brutal. The stuff that they did is so over the top. For example, uh, apparently uh, poor old ex-Empress Wang was murdered by having her hands and feet cut off before being chucked into a huge vat of wine. And to make things worse for anyone who wanted to stand against Wu, her useless emperor husband Gao Zong has a huge stroke in 660, leaving her more or less completely in charge as he's now, you know, about as useful as an ejector seat in a helicopter. It's 23 years until he dies, and as the de facto ruler of the country, Wu gets up to all sorts of, you know, Game, game of Thrones stuff to keep her grip on power absolutely watertight. Obviously, there's far too, you know, far too much stuff to get into here, but the main thing I want to chat about is the biggest of all the challenges she had in this new role as leader of the country. The fact that she was a woman, 
meant that she had to face down all sorts of problems that a male emperor certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have had to worry about. There's a, you know, there's a particular historical perspective that takes a pretty dim view of Wu as, as a person who, you know, while she was in charge, you know, describing her as things like bloodthirsty, cruel, conniving, and, and the classic, classic ruthless being thrown around. It's thought, however, that much of this came from the slander that was chucked around as, you know, she, she sought to do what was seen as, at the time as a man's job. Confucianism, which played a big part in the political philosophy of the Tang Dynasty, was dead set against women getting up and about like this. And as a result, Wu actually has hundreds of blokes dead set against her being the empress and very keen to, to portray her as a bit of a monster. You know, no matter what the truth is, you know, their, their philosophy is telling them just, you know, chop her back down to size here. You know, we can't have a woman doing all this sort of stuff. Wu, however, did do all that sort of stuff and she dealt with this by... Once again, dancing down the wicket and, and smashing some pickets, just as you'd expect. She started to do everything she could to elevate women in public life. She gave them political positions, had people write biographies of women, and tried to, tried to draw a parallel between a woman in charge of a realm and a mother in charge of her kids. This became one of the defining characteristics of her leadership, and she stuck at it for years. She continued to piss people off by doing stuff like leading traditions and rituals that were traditionally led by men. She also chucked some punches around in 668, invading Korea, and more or less subjugating it entirely. The reason she was able to get away with all this is because old mate Gaozong is almost completely blind because of his stroke, and had to have reports and stuff read to him. And who read them to him? Wu, of course. So she would go ahead and say whatever the, you know, whatever the hell she wanted to him uh, so as to get away while this bloke was still alive. Which, as I said, was for 23 years after his st- stroke until the 27th of December 683. When he dies, there's all the mourning and that sort of stupid rubbish, but Wu isn't about to relinquish her grip on power. Her eldest son is ready to get up and about as emperor and ascends to the throne on the 3rd of January 684 as Emperor Zongzong. He's not around for very long, however. He proves to be very difficult for Wu to control, and his wife, Empress Wei, is a big pain in her royal ass. She gets sick of all this nonsense and ordered he orders him arrested for treason. As he's dragged off the throne by soldiers that were loyal to Wu, he yells out, Mum, you know, what are you doing? Get stuff. What crime have I committed? And apparently, she replied, As cool as ice, you wanted to give the empire to your wife. How can that not be a crime? Be very, very careful, my friends, of your mothers-in-law. Anyway, Wu has another crack at it with her second son, who becomes Emperor Ruizong again in 684. Now, this idiot, he lasts for a little bit longer, around six years, but there's a reason for this. Wu has more or less put this bloke under house arrest and continues to rule with an iron fist with poor old Ruizong, again, a puppet of this old lady. So Wu maintains her spot as the biggest dog on the playground, but actually gets sick of the whole ruling through your son business. And so in 690, just gives him the ass, which he is apparently, you know, very happy about. And all I can think about here is is, is Lucille and Buster Bluth, because, you know, it sounds like uh, Rui Zong was happy to, you know, go back to his his training with army. Anyway, Wu Zichan plops uh, down on the imperial throne of China on the 16th of October, 690, and we are off to the races with an entirely new dynasty as she takes control of the country for herself. None of this regency business, none of this ruling through your husband or your son or whatever else. It's just her. Now, the Chinese dynasty system is complicated and overwrought, and I you know, barely understand a thing about it. I suggest you look at some, uh, have a look at the very excellent Crash Course World History videos about it. But basically, the Tang dynasty hits the bench for a spell here as uh, Wu kicks off the Zhao dynasty, and she ends up being the only ruler as we go back to the Tangs once she's no longer empress. 
But there's all sorts of stuff to cover off before then, so let's get to it. During her leadership, despite what her endless critics were going on about, Wu is kicking goals with both feet here. China is flourishing. It's you know, there's enormous prosperity, general happiness while she's up and about. Let's talk about some of the changes she made during her time as empress. As part of this new dynasty she's established, she changes the state religion to Buddhism. Because as I said, Confucianism wasn't so hot on females being in charge, and this conversion helps to legitimise her rule. It was a better time for women more generally, as she continued to work on chipping out a better deal for females up and down the country. And another defining characteristic of the new dynasty was her political reforms, which saw people being promoted on merit rather than status. As ridiculous as it sounds, she also opened up an actual dead set suggestion box, like you'd see, you know, at a work conference or something, so people could bypass the endless bureaucracy. I should also mention that these suggestion boxes were a way for people to dob in, uh, you know, other people who they thought were up to no good, namely her political opponents, no rest for the wicked. Um, and, you know, this was a, a useful way for uh, the Empress to gain information, you know, have her finger on the pulse as to exactly who was trying to oppose it. Anyway, she reformed agriculture. She gave tax breaks to productive farmers and, and, and you know, helped to spread the latest in farming technology, which was, you know, stuff like ditches for irrigation rather than, you know, combine harvesters or whatever. She was also able to reopen the Silk Road, which had, you know, recently by been absolutely ruined by plagues and raiders and stuff. So she sent uh, she sent out soldiers to uh, to get rid of all them and, and did a bang up job too. And that wasn't all with her soldiers. She got up to the biz- she got up in the business of uh, the military in a big way, forcing her generals and commanders to be competent by making them sit exams rather than just getting the gig through family connections. And in a similar vein, her secret police are still going strong, keeping an eye on things and making sure that unrest or whispers of rebellion never really get out of hand. So generally speaking, she's doing a great job and people are loving it. However, unfortunately, of course, all good things come to an end and this isn't to last either. Wu's personal life starts to undercut her role as the empress as we head towards the beginning of the 8th century. Uh, She's starting to lose the plot a little bit. She's rooting all these young blokes from around the country and and starting to get very paranoid about people coming after her. And all this stuff distracts her from the business of running the country. By the way, she's copped a fair bit of flack for, you know, getting busy with these young blokes. Obviously, emperors could be, you know, having it away with teenagers and and no one gives it a second look. But when poor old Wu wants a, you know, a tumble with a, a virile young beefcake, then everyone's a critic, aren't they? But in fairness, she actually, you know, she was really going off the rails. Her two favourite blokes that she uh, she loved to knock knock boots with the most were the Zhang brothers. Uh, they ended up having a fair bit of influence at court, just like Wu herself back in the day. Additionally, she started seeing enemies everywhere, and even, you know, being slightly suspected of disloyalty meant that you'd be exiled or, or just straight up killed. Her grip on the, the monkey bars of reality became increasingly tenuous, uh, and eventually old Butterfingers falls down on her ass. Yeah, down on the tan bark when she falls seriously ill. She only lets the Zhang brothers see her, so the other knobs start worrying that they're playing silly buggers and planning to seize power, just as she did with her old husband when he'd had a stroke. And as a result, these knobs get together, execute the Zhang brothers, who have you know become too big for their frequently knocked boots, and in 705, Wu is forced to abdicate. Poor old Wu, who you know isn't in great nick anyway, is made to stand aside in favour of her eldest son. You'll remember old mate Zong Zong. Just imagine, though. Just imagine the smirk of the daughter-in-law Empress Wei as she gets back up on top, grinning like a shot a shot fox down there at Wu. Interestingly enough, Young Wei has learnt a lot from her mother-in-law, and as a result, most of Zong Zong's time as emperor is as a puppet for his wife rather than for his mum. 
And to beat it all, Wei, you know, takes an actual page out of out of Wu's book here by tricking Zong Zong into eating poisoned cake. As uh, you know, Wei wants to do the old the Wu one two and get the top job for herself by knocking off her husband. But this actually backfires, uh, and she's overthrown and killed. And then it's just a you know. An enormous mess as they churn through a few emperors uh, before Emperor Xuanzong uh, comes along and settles the ship in 713, ruling until you know halfway through the 8th century. Anyway, we're getting off track here. What happened to poor old Wu? Not long after she's forced off the throne, she dies, unfortunately, on the, uh, the 16th of, of December, 705. As I mentioned, she wasn't in good nick, and generally she's, she's crook as a dog for most, as most of the time, but she made it to 80 before dying, so she did have a good knock, you have to say. After she died, she was buried and, and got the traditional, you know, massive big stone block like the other emperors. But uh, rather than be filled with her great deeds as was customary, it was left blank, which is a bit of a kick in the guts for old Wu, especially, you know, with her long list of achievements. But hey, good on her. Despite all the stuff about scheming, plotting, murder and cold-blooded ruthlessness, Wu Zichan still got it done and China benefited greatly from her leadership and her, from her guidance. Historians at the time, may have been instructed not to write about her so as to you know, have the only female ruler of China fall from the pages of history. But now, over a thousand years later, the joke is on them because we're not talking about any of the other million blokes who had the top job, are we? We're not. We're talking about Wu Zichan. So good on her. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Wu Zichan, the Empress of China. Uh, very interesting to, to research and read about this lady. And, and I do hope you got something out of this podcast because, uh, you know, a, a cracking story anyway, you slice it. Thanks so much for listening uh, to, uh, to Half Past Sushi this week. I, I tell you what, it, it's, it's such, a, such a pleasure to, to have you along and to receive the messages, the emails and, and the tweets and stuff that I get saying how people are enjoying this podcast. Very, very flattering, very humbling indeed. So thank you so much for all the support, everyone. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, the best way to do that is uh, at our website. Our website? It's just me, my website. I don't know why I'm trying to make this sound like it's bigger than it is. Just a one-man operation, old half House History here. Um, halfhousehistory.net, there's a contact form there you can get in touch with me. Um, and uh, if you do so and you give me your address, I'll send you some stickers for free. Don't even worry about it. Send, I'll send you through some stickers. Uh, and thanks to all the people who've already got in touch and I've already sent out you know, quite, quite, a, quite a number of, of stickers already. So I've got plenty more. So please, please don't hesitate. Do, do get in touch. Um, uh, apart from that, if you want to uh, follow the show on Twitter, at Half Past History without no, wouldn't fit, very annoying. Uh, there you'll find uh, history facts, stuff that I've been reading about, little tidbits, whatever else. And uh, that's that. Again, thanks for hanging out with me this week. I'll see you again next week for another episode of Half Past History. But until then, leaving you now with a question posed on uh, Reddit. Uh, we've been talking a lot about China, of course. And uh, Hamza Boy wants to know, Reddit historian Hamza Boy asks, If China is so fragile, how has the country lasted for so many years? <laughs> <laughs>